Good morning, church. So our scripture this morning is from Psalm chapter 3, and it's got one of those mystery words in it, the word selah. And there's a lot of discussion on what this word selah means, but I'll let you in on the Eric Dean translation of selah. It's hmm. So when we say the word selah, just think, I'm going to pause and think about this. Hmm. All right, ready? Psalm 3. <laughs> I heard it already. That's good. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. <laughs> but you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. <clears throat> I cried aloud to the Lord. He answered me from his holy hill. Selah. <clears throat> I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustain me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who've set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the love that you show us, the word that you give us, that salvation comes from you. It doesn't come in a bank account, a car, a retirement, any medals that we've, we've accumulated that are now on the shelf. Lord, it comes from you. And even in times of when we're fa we face opposition, even if it's in our own family, which can be so painful, Lord, we can come to you. We can trust in you. We know that you see further. And Lord, I just pray for, for my family and for families in this room who are experiencing pain and opposition. Thank you that salvation comes from you. We lift our eyes to you, Lord. And I pray for our Pastor Chris as he brings a message from this psalm, a psalm when David was in, in a hard time. And I just pray that you would bring hope and and trust and salvation in this time. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Isn't the Lord so good? Man, just so great to worship the Lord together. And, I mean, you know, when I hear uh, Selah or Selah, I'm imagining Ray jamming out the guitar on a solo or Ryan just, but, hmm, that's a good one, too. Um, you know, isn't it so good to be in the house of the Lord? Right, to study his word, to look into what he's going to teach us today. And, and we're going to be in Psalm chapter 3 and just discussing this sort of topic. But I want you to think about the things that we've sung, the things that we've been declaring all day, that in the deepest, darkest part of your life, God can light it up. That if we want to see revival happen in our community, then even in those dark places, we have to let the Lord in, and, and he, can, he can bring those things in. That, that death has been arrested, and our life can be new with him. When you think about your life, do you scream out, I'm free? Or is there like a baggage train of shame and guilt and things that are traveling behind you? The good news of the gospel is this, we're a new creation in him. We forget what's behind, and we press on towards what's ahead. And we're going to dive into David and kind of him sharing his heart about the situation he's in and looking ahead, pausing for that moment, and then reflecting on who God is 
in that moment. It's a great lesson for us as well. So if you turn there, hopefully you have your Bible, hopefully you're reading along with us, making some notes in there. We sort of get the context or an idea of the context in the, the title of this, a Psalm of David when he was fled from Absalom, his son. Now, last week, we, we know about David fleeing, right? We've seen him fleeing from Saul. He was in Gedi. He's hiding in the caves, and all those kind of crazy things happen. Remember, Abishai wanted to pin him to the ground. All of that has been happening, but now it's a little bit different. Now we see years later, David has been king, and his son Absalom is now seeking his life. And it started making me think, like, at what point did David lose his son? Because we know that David loved his son. Scripture talks about David's deep love for his son. But at some point, Absalom and David fell apart. They fell distant. So let's, go, let's look back at it. Let's go to 2 Samuel. We're going to kind of speed through 2 Samuel to kind of get a glimpse of some things. So 2 Samuel 3 gives us a list of our characters that are in our story. Starting in verse 2. And, the son, and sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon um, of Ahimon. I'm sorry if I can't say these names. I've been practicing. But Ahinam of Jezreel. And his second was Chilab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal at Carmel. And the third was Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur. And so we see that David has these two main characters. He has Amnon, the firstborn, and then his thirdborn son is Absalom. These are two of our main characters in the story because of what Amnon, the firstborn, does causes this rift between Absalom and David. And you can read more about the story in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13 um, if we turn there. Uh, together. But let me just warn you, this is not family devotional time reading, okay? Because Amnon, in his sin, he violates his stepsister. Because one thing we know about Absalom, we learned about this in chapter 14, is that Absalom was a beautiful man. He was Fabio, which I think that kind of dates me a little bit. Um, maybe he's more like Chris Hemsworth in Thor, right? He was like this specimen, right? He had long hair that would only cut once a year, which eventually got cut in, caught in a branch and it was his demise. But anyway, he was this beautiful. In fact, in chapter 14, it says, from his toes to his crown, there was no blemish in him. Beautiful man, right? He's a beautiful man. Everybody desired him. It kind of reminds you of Saul, this handsome, tall man that didn't make a very good king. Here's Absalom, this specimen, a person, and he had a sister, and she was beautiful. All the kingdom knew of Tamar and her beauty, but so did Amnon, the firstborn son. And he invited her in, and he violated her. He took advantage of her. He raped her. And in this situation of, of violation, right, she comes crying to her brother Absalom. And she does what everybody should do when they've been violated or hurt by someone. They should tell somebody about it, right? She tells Absalom, and Absalom goes, and, and he comforts her. Look what it says in chapter 13, verse 20. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. This doesn't define you is what he's telling her. This doesn't have to define you, right? You're going to now live with me. And so Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. 
And so Absalom now goes to tell the king about what happened. And when King David heard all these things, he was very angry. And you might notice if you're looking in your word, there's like this little three there. There's like a little, little note that's attached to it. And if you look at it, if you go down to the bottom, it talks about how in the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they found the Septuagint there, right, and they saw this note written off right on this verse, they had a note written off to the side. And they, were, they had this addition written to it, and it would have said something like this. When King David heard all these things, he was very angry, but he would not punish him that his son Amnon, because he loved him and he was his firstborn. So David, the judge, finds this wrong that has happened, this horrible, despicable wrong that Amnon has done to his sister, his half-sister, his, his stepsister, and David does nothing. He chooses, I'm going to love Amnon rather than give justice in this situation. What does that do to Absalom. Right, look at what he says. It says, But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon, and because he had violated his sister Tamar. So this is the beginning of the rift between David and Absalom, because David was unwilling to see justice be done. And listen, I hope you can hear this, right? You might be able to, in the short term, avoid the moment, you know that moment where you have to do something hard to hold someone accountable or you have to do something hard to do something? You might avoid it in the short term, but all it does, the momentum of that sin leads to more people and more pain. More people get hurt when you choose to make that little lie and, and cover up that little thing or, or that one moment where you should have stepped in, but you don't. If you don't step in when it's early, it gains momentum until instead of having to confront his firstborn son for the obvious wrong that had happened, now he's going to lose his son and lose the thirdborn son and, and almost lose his kingdom except that God steps in for him. Let me encourage you, when, when there's wrong, step in. Show the love of God through correction. Show the love of God through discipline and those things. That includes your own life. I'm not just talking about parents with kids. I'm saying in your own life, if you have an area of sin that you've been hiding, step into it. Fix it. Ask someone to come in and help you with that issue. If you don't, then that's just going to continue to grow and gain momentum in your life until the crash is pretty hard. Until all of a sudden, without you knowing it, you find yourself in this darkness. Good thing is we have a God that can bring us out of the darkness, who can lift us back up of that pit of despair and set us on solid ground. But let's early detection, early finding out that our sin is just growing inside of us. Let's take care of that early. David doesn't. So in Absalom is this hatred for his brother. And it says in the next verse, after two full years... Absalom had sheep shears at Belhazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. Hey, dad, let's all come out to this place all together. And David's like, no, it's too busy. I have stuff to do. Well, send your brothers, especially uh, Amnon. Send him out here. Right? How do you think that goes? You find out in verse, uh, what is it, 28? Right? He gives his servants instructions. Strike Amnon and kill him. Do not fear, for I've commanded you, be courageous and valiant. And Amnon goes off. They have a party one night. 
and then the servants step in and they kill him. And Absalom is now on the run, running from David because he exercised his own judgment. He exercised his own judgment on the situation because David was unwilling to do so. And we just see this, this pattern of struggle, some from what happened with Bathsheba. I don't know if maybe that's why David didn't punish his son for this thing that maybe it hit too close to home with the Bathsheba story, but this begins to spiral out of control. And then not much later, Absalom starts thinking, okay, well, I took care of Amnon, but there's still someone else who did me wrong and did Tamar wrong in this situation, that's David. And we pick up in chapter 15. We're just kind of skimming through it. All right? Chapter 15, we see Absalom begin to conspire against his dad. Here's what it says in verse 1. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early in the morning and stand outside of the city gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call him and say, from what city are you? And he said to him, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel. Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. They were saying, you're not going to be able to get in to see the king. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. There's that word justice, right? And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and he would take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So Absalom, by the city gate, begins to be the judge, begins to sow discord in that situation, and begins to gain the heart and the favor of men. And then not much later... He began, he, oh, dad, can I go back to Hebron again? And he comes back for David. In verse 13, it says, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his servants who were with them at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David's answer, Absalom's causing a revolt. He begins to flee. That is the setting for what we're going to read today. That's the setting for Psalm 3. David being chased by his son Absalom, having to leave the city that he loves, the city that he's built, the city that he's the king of, and he's beginning to flee because of his own flesh and blood. And here's what he says in verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Here's what everybody's saying about David. God's not going to save him. God is not with him. There's no salvation found in God for David. Hmm. Selah, right? Pause. He begins to pause and begins to ponder, is there salvation for me, oh God? All around me, when I look around, everywhere that I see, everyone's eyes are against me. The people that I love the most are revolting against me. My advisors that are close to me are changing sides. Everybody seems to be against me. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And then he pauses and he looks to the Lord. Where does that help come from? Inside of us or from the Lord? 
Where, where do we turn when things go? I mean, think about it. How do you feel when one person's against you? One comment is against you. It can, it can wreck us. It can consume our mind. Imagine the thousands of people being against you. And he turns his eyes to the Lord. He says, but you, but God, oh Lord, you are my shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Is the Lord your shield? What does that mean? What does it mean for the Lord to be your shield? We, we don't understand this because we live in modern day times and you probably don't own a shield, right? You probably don't go to battle too often, right? But we want to think about this because a shield has been kind of this picture of things for the people of God from the beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15, when God is calling out Abram and telling him, this is what I'm going to do for you. He's just gotten back from rescuing Lot. He meets Melchizedek in chapter 14. And now in chapter 15, here's how God addresses Abram. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said this, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So what name does God give? He says, listen, Abram, I'm going to be your shield, right? And we saw this for David as well. In fact, if you go to 2 Samuel, um, further back, right in David's last kind of days, in his last moments, he says this in verse 31. David's last moments, he calls out to God as his shield. Verse 31 says this, this God, his way is perfect. You agree with that statement? God's ways are perfect. Before you say amen, think about your life. Think about the things God commands us to do. Is his way perfect? The word of the Lord proves true. Amen? Think about that. The word of the Lord, the things we speak out of his word, they don't return void, right? That the things in the Bible that people are confused about, archaeology is going to uncover, or the world's deceived in, the word of the God, uh, God proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Now listen, I don't know a lot about holding a shield, but I know this. If I'm running into battle and I'm like, yeah, with my shield out here, it's not going to be very effective. You might look cool. Right? But my, the idea is that if you have a shield on, it's in front of you as you begin to move forward. Right? The idea of the shield is supposed to be this barrier between you and your enemy to protect you. Behind it, we take refuge. Is the Lord your shield? Is it the thing that goes before you? For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He has made my feet like the feet of a deer and has set me secure in high places. He trains, his, he trains my hands for war so that my arm can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. Woo. Now, maybe you don't realize this or not, but you've actually seen the shield of David. In fact, here's a picture um, from Israel of this description. You might know this as the Star of David. That's kind of what we call it nowadays. But in biblical times, this was called the Shield of David. This symbol was something that David had on his shield when he would go to battle. And, of course, because David's kingdom will reign forever and Israel being known through David, that kind of became a symbol 
for the nation of Israel. But it was a symbol of David, that David would carry the shield and go into battle. You can see an inscription of it kind of behind, chiseled into the rock in the archaeology back there, that this is a, something that's been proved over time from, from long ago until now, this idea of the shield of David. David saw the Lord as his shield. And when people saw that shield, they saw God's man was behind it. Is the Lord your shield? Does he go before you into battle? Is he part of our defense? That's not based upon how good we are, the things we've done, but it's based upon how good he is and his righteousness. And of course, we see this picture in the New Testament as well, don't we? I mean, Ephesians 6.10, which is a special uh, verse for me. When I was a sophomore in high school, right, I had one of those friends. Do you have one of those friends? Like, they would not leave you alone about, like, coming to church or about Jesus. Anybody have one of those friends? Are one of you one of those friends? It's okay. It's good, right? I had this friend, and he would not leave me alone. He kept it, and I played on the same basketball team as him every day before practice, after, hey, you got to go with me. Hey, you got to go do this. So I finally, finally gave in. Yes, fine, fine, I'll go, right? And I went on this retreat with them, and the pastor was talking about the armor of God. And, of course, being a football guy, I'm like, yeah, helmet. You know, I was, like, all about that. I, I loved it. But then when you start looking at the meaning of this, you see just how amazing God's word is, how he ties the Old Testament to the New Testament. Here's what he says. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Woo. Who, who is the strength in this picture? The Lord. You're like, man, I'm not, I'm not strong enough to do that. You don't have to be. You you. You are going to get the Lord's strength to do those things. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Anybody want to do that? Do we want to stand against the schemes of the devil? Okay. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Woo! This is a crazy concept. Have you ever thought that the person that you're arguing with, you're not really fighting against flesh and blood? That there are other forces at work causing that division. Have you ever gotten so angry about the littlest, tiniest thing? You're like, why am I so mad about this thing? Why is this so frustrating to me? There's other things at work around us. Let's stop focusing on the physical as if we change the physical. It would somehow, in miraculous ways, make our life better. Instead, focus upon the Lord. There's other factors going on around us. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. How important is truth to you? Does it hold everything together for you? Is it, is it what keeps all the armor in its proper place? What is truth? Here's a good way to know if you're speaking truth or not. Are you speaking these words? That, that's a good judge for us in speaking truth. All right? Then it says this, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, then our words and our actions, they align. Right? If you put the belt on your head like a headband, it's not very effective. If you put the belt around your waist to hold the breastplate in place, you're in a good position. Our words and our actions, they have to align together. Then it says this, um, and as for shoes, man, I have to put on shoes? Okay. As for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Do your feet lead you into places of peace? Here's what that means. If you struggle with pornography, do your feet lead you into places that are going to lead you astray? Do you physically put yourself in position to fall? Or do you purposely go, nope, not going that way. 
right? Let's say you struggle with alcohol and you struggle with just over-consuming of alcohol. Do your feet lead you to that aisle at the supermarket? Do that feet lead you to the bar? Do they lead you to the places that are going to make, make it harder for you to stand firm? Do your feet lead you towards peace? The physical ability that our feet take us places to put us in positions to shine for him. Here's what it says next. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So take up the shield of faith. Right? Let me ask you this. How much faith do you have in Jesus? Like if you have a little bit of faith, you better be really skilled with it. Lots of darts coming at you, right? If you have faith and trust in God, a huge trust in God, you can take refuge behind it. How is your faith? How much do you trust God? How much do you love the gospel message that Jesus died and rose again for us? Do you love that message? Because behind it, there's peace and protection. You know what's even better? When you have people around you to make a shield wall. That, they, that the enemy can't flank you, he can't get around you, that you have others around you that can help you in this battle, right? This idea of shield, is the Lord your shield? Do you put him out front? Is he the one that protects you from the schemes of the evil one? This is what David's crying out to God, Lord, be my shield. And then he says, be my glory, that what people see in me is your glory. It's like kind of the moon has no light of its own, but it still shines, the idea is that we are supposed to reflect the glory of God. Um, I know this is going to date me again as well. Um, but do you remember when you were a kid playing with light bright? Anybody remember those, right? Like you had these cute bulbs, right? And you would like stick them in and try to follow a pattern in there. And it would make something what you thought was like so cool. Look, that's a boat. Woo, that's so cool, right? Or some people can make stuff like this. I, I'd like to say, oh, when I was a kid, this is what I made. But, you know, we didn't have cameras like this back then. So... I'm really old. But we played light and bright, right? It was so cool. It was so fun to create these different things. But do you realize the bulbs laying in the box had no power? Like, I want you to think about a light bulb real quick. If we are supposed to be the light of the world, we're more like a light bulb. Have you ever gone home, put your light bulb on the table, and just looked at it? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't shine the light. I mean, it has the potential to shine the light. But what you have to do is you have to take this and you have to plug it in, right? And guess what? It's still not going to work until you turn the switch on, right? So we're like this, this bulb. We're ready to shine, but we've got to get plugged in to the power of God. And then we have to let the power of God flow through us so the world can see that. Now, listen, if you put the wrong bulb in the wrong place, it's not going to be great for you. Right, you go to dinner and you're like, you put a floodlight in instead of a 60 watt. Right, you go to dinner like, hey, let's go to dinner. Right, feels like Jesus himself is coming to dinner with you, right? That's probably not the right setting. What's going to happen? You're going to shy away from the light. Sometimes we could be too much. As the light, sometimes we can be too much for the setting. You need that floodlight outside where there's more darkness. Right, but other times we really want the light to be there but not really be seen. Like, for example, we used to have this bulb right here that would, like, flash. Bink. Bink. Right? And it was like, you just, it just always was there. And it was just like, oh. We want the bulb to shine, but not to be so bright. There's a purpose for you. In fact, in our building, it's really weird. We have 277 in some light things, and we have 110s in others. If you want some real excitement, don't do this. Take the 110 bulb and put it in the 277. 
and turn away. Because it is going to be exciting, right? Some people, they are bright for a moment, and then they're actually destructive because they're in the wrong spot. They're not fulfilling the purpose God had for them, right? God's given each of us gifts and purposes, and we're different. You might want to be a floodlight, but God made you a 60 watt, and that's okay. That's, okay. that's good. We need a 60 watt, Right? Some of you are 110, some of you are 277. That's good. You're not supposed to be plugged in there. It's okay. Some of you can. Some of you can go overseas and do missions for God and change the world for Jesus. Some of us can't. We go there and we, we drown and we, we go into dark places and, and we can't handle that. Some of you, you can work in kids' ministry and you're a light. Others of you, right, you just explode. You're like, what happened? Why are there toys everywhere? What's going on? Like, Let's come work with youth, okay? Oh, they do that too. Okay, let's come work with adults, right? Um, so you, you just, there's the places that God wants you to plug in and see what's incredible. If we want to bring about revival, there's two ways I think we can do that, right? One is that we have different people shining their light together in unity. This is what the church is supposed to be. Each one of you is supposed to be a light in our community. And when people see you, they see a picture of our church in unity. Now, it's cool. Abstract art is cool. A bunch of different lights kind of just all arranged, but it's better if they all come together in that beautiful light bright. Oh, that's a palm tree. Oh, that's a sailboat. Oh, that's like a Miami Vice 1980s logo. Oh, that's so cute, right? It's, it's, it's great when we have unity in the church and we can be the light. Here's another way, though, that you can be the light of the world. That in your life, there are moments that you shine bright. There's moments that, moment by moment, you let Jesus Christ, the light of the world, shine through your life. You reflect his glory to a world when you have intentionality and serving and loving the Lord and letting him be the shield, putting him out front, then you'll see revival. Because the people around you will be changed. But they're only going to last if you can plug them into a place that's going to spur them on, that's going to go to battle with them, is going to be a light with them. Let's be that. Both in our, in our life, let's shine bright. Let's know the situation. Let's shine. Let's plug in. Let's turn on that faucet. That's not a faucet. Circuit, all right? False, false is a different analogy, okay. But turn on the light and let it flow through us to the world as God has created us to be. This is how we bring about revival. Personal revival plugged into the church bringing about revival. We just sung about it, right? We just sung about it. Come awaken your people. Come awaken our city. Right? Even in the darkest night, even when the shame is there, he can light it up. And he gets all the praise. None of the praise comes to us. None of the praise goes, wow, great light bulb when it's turned off, right? No, we're, we're fulfilling the purpose God has for us. This is what it means for God's glory to shine through us, that we're plugged in and he gets to be that light. And the last name that we see here, because we've seen a lot of amazing names for God today, haven't we? The great I am, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, our peace. We see all these beautiful names. Here's another one. He's the lifter of our head. That if you, you know what this means if you've been there, if you've been in that dark place. In fact, he unpacks it a little bit in verse 4. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Hmm. And, and ponder that. Let, let's go back. Let's, we, we know kind of the moment that this happens where David's crying out to God and God answers him. Let's go back into 2 Samuel. Okay, in 2 Samuel, um, it is in verse... 
the end of 13, that we see, or end of 15, I'm sorry, where we see David crying out to God. It's chapter 15, verse 30. But David went up to the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. So this is me on a Saturday morning after a football game, okay? I'm just like asleep. There's a towel over my head, and I'm just kind of wandering in. He's so broken here that his head is downtrodden. He's just walking. And all the people who are with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told, and it was told David, um, Apiphophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Apithethel into foolishness. So here's David, David's prayer. Take this counsel of mine that was with me before and make his counsel foolishness. And so in chapter 17, we see Apithethel giving his advice to Absalom. It says, Moreover, Apithethel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will rise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into panic, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel, and it would have been the killing blow. David is barefoot, downtrodden. He's just weeping as he goes. And here's Apithethel saying, I'll take 12,000 men. How many other foes that are against me, what David says, right? 12,000 of them, right, that are going to come and we're going to wipe them out. The people will flee and run. David has nowhere to run. He's barefoot. He's downtrodden. And we'll kill him. It'll all be over. And it seemed good to them. But Absalom asked for another counselor. And that other counselor happens to be a guy named Hushai, right? And Hushai happens to be a friend of David who wanted to escape with David. And David said, no, stay on my behalf. And he invites Hushai to come in. And Hushai says, no, no, no. Apithethel's advice, we should not follow that. We need to let David get away. We don't want them to turn to battle, right? He'll just get more and more depressed. But what actually happens is David begins to gain strength and trust in the Lord. And he turns and, and God delivers Absalom in this battle. But we, we see that the killing bow is ready. But Hushai gives advice against that. No, no, let's just stand firm. Let's just stay here and let's wait and then it says in verse 14, um, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Apithethel, for the Lord has ordained to defeat the good counsel of Apithethel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. In other words, God was thwarting the good advice in order to save the kingdom for David. God was not done with David yet. Even if you're in darkness, God's not done with you yet. Oh, but you don't know the shame and guilt. Neither does God. It's thrown in, he's already forgiven you of that, right? God's not done. And so we see this prayer being answered, David crying out, Lord, give me deliverance from this advice. And we see that here, right? So when he cries out again, right, he says, cry aloud to the Lord and he will answer me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept and I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I was going to lay down, and I fully expected to awake with a spear in my chest. I, I fully prepared for a pithethel to be over the top of me and these men to slaughter me. But I awoke. The Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people 
who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Woo, here's David's prayer. Like, Lord, can you get between me and these people and let's box it out, right? He's like, hey, I want you to break the teeth of the wicked, slap them on the cheek, right? I mean, like, we're, let's go, right? We know God put them in a deep sleep with Saul, right? But Lord, can you be the one who defends me? Can you fight on my behalf as people seek my life? Will you stand between? And if they come too close, like, defend me. This is what he's asking God. Be active in my life to be my defender. This is a prayer we need to have because we're really quick to run in and fight. David versus 12,000. I mean, David's pretty good, but instead, God on his behalf is going to be his defender. Then he says this profound statement at the end. Remember, this is the Old Testament. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus comes, but he says this, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Hmm, Selah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Do we believe that in our hearts? And there's, a, there's some verses that I looked up talking about this idea of salvation in the Lord. It starts with Psalm 62, um, verse 7, uh, which says this, On God rests my salvation. Think of this. Is, are these true about you? Are these part of your shield of faith that you hold out to defend yourself against the enemy, right? Oh, God, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Is that true about him? Or Isaiah uh, 43 says this, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Besides Jesus, there is no Savior. You can't find salvation in a drink or salvation in a job or salvation in another person. It's all found in Jesus. And Hosea said it this way, but I am the Lord, your God. From the land of Egypt, you know no God but me, and besides me, there is no Savior. Hosea was in the position of being that picture of Jesus to Gomer, rescuing her, buying her back, giving a ransom for her. But again, there's only one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Jonah, before he gets out on the beach, right, he cries out to God, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah deserved death. He ran away. Now he gets new life. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is not just a New Testament idea. It's been the plan all along throughout creation. And at the end of creation, Revelation 7.10 says, And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation is found in Christ alone. That's where we put our faith. And that faith is what creates a shield of protection that we could take refuge from behind to protect us against the schemes of the enemy, against the schemes of other people acting out in that way. So do you feel free? Do you feel free that whenever trials come, I'm behind his faith? I have faith in him. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, do it. What are you waiting for? There's no other Savior. There's no other place to find that. If you put your faith in him, how much do you trust him? How much of that shield is based upon him? Or are you doing the Christian life on your own power with your own skills? All of us need to grow in our love and affection and faith with Jesus, right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this picture of David, Lord, on the run, fearing for his life. But, Lord, he trusts in you. 
and is reminded when he steps back and he takes a deep breath, Lord, and he's reminded that you are where salvation is found. Salvation is found in the Lord. So it will help us day by day, minute by minute, moment by moment to trust you, to, to hide behind the shield of faith, Lord, that with, with everything going on around us, Lord, we put our trust fully in you. Lord, if there's someone here who's never put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that today is the day. Lord, as we get a chance to celebrate baptisms today after third service, Lord, we just, we just give you praise. You are worthy of all of our praise. And we pray all this in your name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Hey, are, are you hungry, Chris? You want to get, grab a bite to eat after this? I'm thinking burgers. You might else hungry for burgers? Everybody do this real go. And I was thinking maybe, uh, maybe you can grab one on the way out, you know, and maybe a $5 suggested donation or whatever you want to give to that. I, I got an idea. How about we take all that money and put it towards y'all's Africa trip? All right. Can you make an executive decision that it's done? All right, it's done. So on your way out, you can grab a burger, $5 suggested donation or whatever you want to give, and 100% of that's going to go towards the Africa mission trip. That When, when y'all leaving? What's the day y'all heading out? A week and a half from now, so uh, you're going to be able to take a part in that mission trip. And also, when you're out there, grab a sheet that looks just like this. And this is um, the Kaleo, Kalea, Kalea uh, wish list. There's some great items on here that the team are, would be able to bring with them to bless the ministry with uh, Deborah and all of those people down there. And so here's an opportunity for you to give that way as well. Um, so glad that you guys got to worship all together today. Uh, I want to leave you with this verse. It is Psalm 119, 114. It says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Do you believe that? Amen. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. Grab a burger on your way out. Take care.